my confirmation experience that I learned is to really put my life in God's hands. Uh, the one thing I've learned in confirmation is that you really have to develop a relationship with Jesus and trust Him. Through confirmation, I learned that in whatever we're going through, God has already won the battle. The past two years of confirmation has taught me how to grow with God and how much He loves me. It's showed me a lot more about what God went through and what the Bible, like more about the Bible that I didn't know. Something that I learned at confirmation this year was um, that how I can get closer to God as a person. I feel like I've learned more about the meaning of the Bible and all the scripture that's in it. This year in confirmation, I have learned that we have been chosen not to call attention to ourselves, but to call attention to God. I learned about the second chance that communion is. Um, I learned how God can take an image that represents death and turn it into something that represents forgiveness and love, and that's the cross. What I learned from confirmation this year is that no matter what uh, hardships you go through, Christ and God are always going to be there with you. In confirmation this year, I've learned to grow more spiritually. I learned more about the history of God throughout the Bible. He loves all of us the same. He doesn't pick favorites. He, he, cares, he cares about each and every one of us individually. Spiritually, I learned that it's always an ongoing process with us and God. I love coming together on Sunday mornings and learning about the Bible. Welcome to Confirmation Sunday. This is going to be the best Sunday of your life. What a great group of students this year. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Confirmation Sunday. It is one of the best Sundays of your life, at least of this year. Yeah, uh, We're so excited to have you here and to be celebrating Confirmation Sunday with us. If you don't know, our confirmation program here in, at Hinsdale Covenant Church is a two-year program. Uh, we go through a testament each year. So we did the Old Testament last year. This year we've been walking through the New Testament and we have 16 confirmands to bring before the church today. And you're going to hear from them very shortly. They're actually going to use some of those New Testament texts and they're going to answer some of the most uh, pressing questions that we have posed in our confirmation class using scripture to answer some of those questions in their own words. We have eight confirmands in this service and eight in the next service that we're celebrating today. I just want to know, how many of you were confirmed in this church? Look at that. Amazing. And we even have a couple students here who are multiple generations of confirmands in this church. We give thanks for the history of the state. It's a really important piece in the history of our, uh, of our congregation, uh, this confirmation course. I would also say that it exemplifies some of the best of what we've been talking about in the last month on resurrection relationships. That's been our focus for the last month. And, and what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, how does that inform some of our key relationships? Students who are here, um, this is, in a lot of ways, the best of that. You're centering yourselves around God's word. You're growing in fellowship with one another and with God. You have counselor friends, adult mentors who who have come alongside you that you've been learning from and, and, and growing under. And I even look out today and see some of our young kids here uh, watching and going, that's going to be me, hopefully someday, uh, standing up here and being confirmed as well. This exemplifies in a lot of ways the kind of community that I would want to encourage you towards for the rest of your life. 
So with that, we want to get to our mini sermons here today. Uh, I told the students yesterday, and I really believe this, I'm not going to preach today, no homily from me. You don't need it because I believe that God has a word for you, and it's the students today uh, who get to give that word to you. So I would invite you to open up your hearts and to open up your ears and your minds uh, to how God will speak through these stories. So we'll start with Eve. Good morning. My name is Eve Devenier. Today I will be talking about how do I mature in my faith. While contemplating this big question that I'm sure many of us have thought about, I was reminded of the time that my friends and I went to see the Avengers Endgame. For those of you who don't, who plan to, but have not yet seen the blockbuster movie, you may want to cover your ears for a moment as I inform you of something very revealing about the plot. It made me cry four times. I was out with six of my close friends taking full advantage of a half day that our school had provided us when I, when I found myself literally weeping on four separate occasions. None of my friends ever noticed me, nor did I notice them, as they all had tears streaming down their faces as well. My friend Sasha must have been sobbing through half the movie, and this was their second time seeing it. Why the tears? Well, over a series of movies, sorry, <laughs> I feel as though I know all of these characters very well. I am full of excitement, fear, and stress as they face event after event as they try to save themselves as well as the entire universe. Oh my, is that superhero really going to risk their own life for the good of others? Wow, how heroic they must be. The irony of the situation hit me when I was telling my dad, one of the very few people who did not plan on seeing the movie, about this film. We were driving to Flipside, a mere 10 days after Easter, and as I described the plot, I began to realize that the story reminded me of something else a hero willing to take on the most brutal of challenges in order to face evil and make the ultimate sacrifice in order to save others? They stole this movie plot from the Bible. But if this is true, what does this say about me, me as a person and my relationship with Jesus? Jesus has always been a very big part of my life, and, as I, and I've always known and loved him. The story of Jesus dying on the cross in order to save me and any and all believers is a story that I've known as long as I can remember and as far as I know, the story I left my, I based my whole life on. And yet, I never remember in my life shedding a single tear when I read, speak, and think of Jesus. Wow, now I really do want to cry. In Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, it says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking in the, in the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I really did love the Avengers movie. It was very entertaining, and I love sharing it with my friends. But despite the excitement, the amazing graphics, and good-looking actors, this movie is not real. The fate of the people in the world does not really hinge on the actions of these characters. Hollywood is a great distraction from the world. But thankfully, Hollywood certainly does not have the power to save us. In fact, if we let it, it could do just the opposite. Fortunately, the people of the world have already been saved by a true hero who fought with weapons of wisdom, love, and peace. A hero who chose not to fight with violence and force, but instead chose the ultimate weapon of self-sacrifice. A hero who, simply through his grace, has saved us all. This is the Jesus who is with us at all times, including with me now as I nervously recite this mini-sermon. 
I wish I could explain why tears don't flow when I think of the story of Jesus. I wish on Easter Sunday I spent less time thinking of what to wear or what candy to eat next and more time thinking about the amazing miracle of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead so that we could all be saved. I wish I spent more time thinking about how Jesus wants to use us and <laughs> use me as his messenger rather than paying so much attention to the millions of messages I send and receive on my phone. But I take comfort in knowing that Jesus accepts my flaws and loves me even so. And I know I'm in a work in progress. I pray that in time, as I mature, that Jesus takes up a bigger and bigger place in my heart. Hi, I'm Luke Bell, and I will... I will answer, what is the attitude of a Christ follower? The passage I chose for my sermon was Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It describes the mindset of Jesus and the way he thought about himself. It reads, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, in being, very, na who in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The verse starts by establishing that in any relationship you can have, the best attitude to have is that of Jesus. Whether you're siblings, partners, friends, classmates, or coworkers, Jesus is the perfect role model for how to treat people and think of them and yourself. At the center of, the, of his mindset is humility. It clearly meant a lot to him. Even though he was all-powerful, he chose to live as a servant in every action that he made. He even humbled himself to punishment by death. He never abused his vast power, as any one of us would have. Even as a great king, he humbled himself to a servant. My own dad is a prime example of someone who lives this out well. Every Sunday, despite what the rest of the family tells him, he always decides to park in the same spot two blocks away from the church <laughs> as not to make anyone else walk farther. He started jokingly calling the spot where Jesus tells him to park, but he's not entirely wrong. I believe this is a valid example of the attitude of the Christ follower. Mark chapter 10, verse 43 is another good verse, saying, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Humility is the cornerstone of the mission of Christ and the mindset of his followers. Even though it's impossible to sacrifice yourself for the sins of the world like Jesus did, a true follower of Jesus is one that serves others before themselves. I'm not always perfect with my following of Christ. No one is, but I try to always stay humble because I know that to raise yourself to him you must first humble yourself to a servant.
Good morning. My name is David Rico, and this is my mini-sermon, What Happens After We Believe. In the book of Colossians, Paul is writing to new believers, probably Gentiles in the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. He is writing from Rome while in a jail to a group of people he has never met before. Paul, who used to be known as Saul, was widely known for killing and persecuting Jews. In Acts chapter 9, we are told that one day while on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by God who spoke to him directly asking him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. He continued on his journey and realizing his mistakes, became a disciple of Jesus and went on to write a number of the books in the New Testament. In Colossians 2, Paul gives us some instructions on what to expect after we put our faith in Jesus. I think that instead of answering this question, what should happen after we believe, this scripture verse should be read as what should happen after we believe. So what should happen? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 reads, So then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's break this passage down bit by bit. So then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord. Here, Paul is talking to those who accepted Jesus Christ into their lives. This includes me and hopefully most, if not all of you here today. Continue to live your lives in him. Here, Paul is telling us to act out the word of God, to help other people. In other words, we need to change. We cannot continue to live our lives the same way we did before we came to know Jesus. Rooted and built up in him. Here, Paul is comparing following Jesus to one of the most important parts of the tree, the roots. A tree cannot live without strong roots. Roots give a tree food, water, nourishment, and help it give it strength against the struggles of the world. Jesus should be our roots. The second part of this phrase Built up in him, in my mind, I picture a tall skyscraper. Skyscrapers like the Cirrus Tower are created by someone. We are created by God. The Cirrus Tower stands above all other buildings in downtown Chicago and includes strength, permanence. It can serve as a landmark or guidepost to others. God will give us strength to be the light of the love to the world around us. Strengthen the faith as you were taught. We can never be perfect like Jesus was. Thus, we all need to continue to learn, study, and listen to God through the Bible and through direction of gifted teachers around us. For me, and my fellow students, confirmation was two full years of learning about the story of God throughout history and all the whys and hows of how Jesus, of Jesus, how to be a good Christian, how to be involved in the Christian church, why Jesus came, and how God loves, enough, loves us enough to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. Overflowing with thankfulness. At the end of this passage, Paul is commanding us that after we believe, we need to continually give thanks to God for all our blessings. To do anything else would mean we are ungrateful. Unfortunately, I see people being ungrateful all the time, and I bet you do too. As Christians, we need to be grateful for all that God has given us. Finally, when I reflect on this verse, I am reminded of when I was baptized with my mom and my younger brother, Johnny, up at Covenant Point Bible Camp. I wanted to be baptized in order to feel more connected with the rest of my family and with God. While being lowered into and raised from the waters of Hagrin or Lake were nothing like what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Being baptized was a major milestone in my Christian walk that I will carry, me, carry with me for the rest of my life. Hi, I'm Ben Osterbahn, and today I will be discussing the passage from Matthew chapter 18, 2 through 4. He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly passage of the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In this passage, Jesus says that we must become as little children to enter the kingdom of heaven. The context of Jesus' statement is the disciples' question, 
who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In response, Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This passage means so much to me because I think it helps me describe my own feelings about faith. When I was younger and first taught about God, my faith was wholehearted. I had nothing but trust in God. However, as I grew, I, as I, however, as I grew older and learned other theories, I began to have my doubts. I didn't feel a strong connection with God anymore. As I learned scientific theories about the Big Bang, and I started to realize how many people, how many people in the world were suffering from horrible acts of evil. I started to distance myself from God. I couldn't figure out how to believe in something I couldn't see or touch. I started listening to people telling me that my faith was wrong. Luckily, I was able to go on a mission trip last year with my dad, my brother Jack, and some close family friends to an orphanage in Honduras. I love playing with these kids who had survived such hardships in their lives. Most had no parents. Some were mothers as teenagers, some of them special needs, but they all had the biggest smiles on their face and they all had the strongest in faith and trust in God. It brought me back to how I used to feel as a younger child in Honduras. Sorry, it brought me back how I used to feel as a younger child. In Honduras, I used to feel, I felt that childlike connection with God again. Every morning and every night in Honduras, we would sit as a group and pray. One night, we were sitting on the steps of a beautiful church, and it was my dad's turn to give the nightly sermon. He told us about a story that he had heard from Al, one of the founders of the orphanage. There was this village suffering from a terrible drought. All the villagers decided to get to the town center and pray for rain. As the villagers walked to the town center, one little girl, around 10 years old, was carrying an umbrella. Some of the older teenagers were making fun of her, asking her why she was carrying an umbrella when it hadn't rained for months. She responded to them that they were so silly that of course it was going to rain because they were about to go pray in God and ask for rain. Is God going to be there when I need him? That little girl would have said yes. Her childlike faith and trust in God is the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have in him. Don't get me wrong, I'm no angel. I think about my batting average just as much as I do about being a faithful Christian. I like making people laugh a little too much, but I do like being in church. I do like saying my prayers, and I do think back on my time to Honduras, and I know that I want my faith to grow and be a big part of my life. When I feel my faith slipping away, I think about the story of the little girl carrying the umbrella, and I try to carry my faith with me in the same way. Like a child, we should come before God, fully trusting in him, and fully opening to his love. Thank you. Hi, my name is Beatrice Sherenstrom, and my scripture verse is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And my question is, how do we stay in a relationship with Jesus? This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. To me, this means that we can claim to have a relationship with God. However, however, we can stray from the light. But if we walk in the light, even though we may sin, the blood of Christ purifies us. How do we stay in the light? Or in other words, how do we stay in a relationship with Jesus? For me, the answer is prayer. I spent the first half of this year in Sweden, and without a youth group and the local church having less than 10 attendees every Sunday, I thought my faith would be quite strained. <coughs> 
so I told myself that I should at least make an effort to pray more, and I decided that I'd do it in Swedish. Even though prayer is quite a simple act, it is powerful, and I felt that I became more connected to God and bettered my Swedish in the process. Every night I would pray, and because my Swedish ability wasn't phenomenal, it, wouldn't be a, it would be a simple prayer. I'd normally pray about what I was thankful for and then pray for a good day tomorrow. As time progressed, I found myself praying more, praying longer prayers, and praying more specific prayers, and speaking better Swedish. And during this process, I felt that I had become more connected to God. I would have never guessed that going to a tiny village in a foreign country would allow me to stay in a relationship with Jesus, but that was exactly the case. Going forward with my life, I hope to pray more and remain in the light. I also hope to keep in mind that if I do end up in the darkness, it is possible and always possible to come back to the light. The blood of Jesus is what purifies us and what makes it possible for us to walk with him in the light. Thank you. Hi, my name is Isabella Shu, and this morning I'll be talking about who deserves the glory in a society that seems to so greatly cherish worldly accomplishments. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-7 through 7 states, What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God had been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Apollos and Paul were evangelists that played a critical role in the development of the church, both passionate preachers who were fervent in the Holy Spirit. However, when people praised their work, they were quick to direct the praise to God. I am proud of you. You should be proud of yourself. Those words have been echoed around every household and every school. I often heard those words myself, whether it be after performance, getting a good grade, giving a speech, or essentially any accomplishment. These words are part of a culture that teaches kids our abilities stem from within ourselves and that we should take all the credit for our successes. What I learned from the Bible is the opposite. It is crucial to accept that God is our creator and that everything good on this earth comes from his power. Our gifts and talents that we prize so much are all blessings from him, and he wishes for us to steward them not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of his kingdom. Instead of letting each accomplishment build up our own pride, we should give glory to where the glory is due to our God of unfathomable might. Unlike many, I wasn't born into a Christian family. I didn't grow up thinking that there was a higher power, that there was a God we could trace everything to. When I started to dive deeper into my faith, I came to the realization that our power comes not from us, but from above. This question of whom we should glorify was one of the very reasons I came to know Christ. For so long, I wondered how humans could each have their, each, um, could each have their unique talents and blessings, how every one of us had a set of skills we could use for good or for bad. Now it only makes sense that all these abilities come from our creator and that he gives us these unique blessings so that this world can be a wonderful and interesting place. It may have been us winning a game or getting a good grade, but in reality, we deserve no praise. God loves us so much that he gave us free will, but we should never use that as an excuse to glorify ourselves. Apollos and Paul refused to take credit for God's amazing work. Instead, they humbly stepped down and let him be glorified. Although they planted and watered the seeds of the church, God had been making it grow. In our world, it is so easy to neglect the one who is worthy of our praise. The unsung hero is always God. Going forward, I will always remember to seek the, God, the Lord's strength in everything I do, instead of relying on my own understanding and abilities, which are so limited compared to his incomprehensible power. 
May all the glory go not to man, but to our creator. Thank you. Hi, I'm Hannah Priester, and I'll be reading John chapter 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So how do we face our trials? I believe that everyone will go through a stage of believing. I think that this question is a little tricky because I don't, know that any, I don't think that anybody will be able to face their trials of faith the same as someone else but I think that everybody will be able to go back to God. When I first got into middle school, I believed in God and felt that he was keeping watch on me. But as time went by, I started to lose focus on him. I'd always get, a, get caught up in homework and with friends that I never spent enough time thinking about God. Then, at the beginning of summer going into eighth grade, I started a stage of life um, where, where I'd think about God, but I would question him. I was at a stage where it was harder for me to believe in something that I couldn't see. I don't know why, but I just did. And I still believed in God, but at the time, it was hard for me to fully understand who he was. One thing that did help with this was going to confirmation. It helped me understand more who God was and how he helped guide my faith. Another thing that I feel that has pulled me away from God a little and has, ha and has made me test my, test my faith was when my, was when my cousin passed away. His family had gone through a rough has had a rough life for the past few years, and then when he passed away, I started to wonder if God was really there. Was he helping my family? Was he watching over all of us? That just made me feel like God wasn't there, so it's hard for me to stay faithful. I think that God is always there, but he can't solve everything. It's hard for me to realize that because I always believed that God would try and stop the bad things from happening, but he can't always, but he can't always make something better. I'm realizing that, I'll go, that although God may let something happened that I definitely wish had not happened, he's still there looking over me and helping me every day. Right now, I'm at a tricky stage of faith, a tricky, a tricky stage of faith, but I believe that in the future, I'll continue to feel God invite him and invite him closer to me in my life through the help of bad times, the good and bad times. Hi, my name's Trevor Burns, and my mini-sermon is about what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ. In Romans 12, 3-5, it says, For the grace given me, I say every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I think that the beginning of this passage means, do not think of yourself as above all others. Remember that God is good and is in control of all things. God wants us to be humble. The second part of this passage speaks to how God does not want all of us to be the same. He created each of us to be different and unique in our own way. He gave us each different talents such as faith, encouragement, and leadership. He wants us to use them for his glory, together like a team. Just like every part of our bodies helps us do different things, God has given each of us a purpose to do different things for him. So, so the theme in these verses is really about being connected to one another by God and through God. I've seen this verse come alive in my own life in three different ways. School, baseball, and playing the drums. First, when I neared the end of my fifth grade year, I was faced with a big decision. To keep going to a public school or to go to a Christian private school. I had to weigh my options, and one of my bigger factors was expanding my Christian friend group and being able to worship 
God with my friends every week through chapel. I love the idea that I can openly talk about God with my friends at school. I can be my full self every day. With great friends, I'm learning how to be an active member within the body of Christ and serve others well. Second, I have loved playing baseball since I was four. Every year, my faith begins to outweigh my fear more and more. In baseball, all nine players on the field need to do different things. The second baseman needs to have fast hands and a knowledge of the game. The third baseman needs to have a strong arm and fast feet. And the center fielder needs a solid baseball IQ and to be fast. When each player uses their gifts to their fullest potential and backs up the right position, the team works well and wins. Playing baseball has helped me evolve in my faith journey and my understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. No one position is better than another. I respect what each player brings to the game and the value that God has enabled me to bring to the game, knowing that together we make a great team. Third, playing the drums gives me a chance to express myself. Have you ever played the drums or really watched the drummer during worship? He uses his whole body. When you play the drums, your right leg plays the bass drum at a different beat and rhythm than your right hand, which is playing the hi-hat at an intern beat with the occasional crash on the cymbal at just the right time. The whole, the whole body together holds the rhythm of a song in place, making one cohesive sound. And in the case of a worship band, all for the glory of God. This helps me see that, that in the body of Christ, when we all work together, when everybody does their God-given job, what some consider noise, God sees as beautiful. Going forward, I want to make sure that I live my life in a way that God is the head and I'm the body, along with the many believers around me. I want to be connected to him by reading the Bible more and staying active in youth group here at church. I want to use the gift of encouragement that God has given me to build up my friends, classmates, and my teammates on the baseball field in high school. I want to glorify God through music by hopefully being part of a worship band someday. I see that being a part of the body of Christ as a privilege, one that is earned by faith alone. We can all contribute in our own unique ways to this world because God has given us, given us the power to do so. I'm ready and willing to serve. Are you? <laughs> uh, hi, I'm, I'm Chase Coghill. I'm an, I'm an eighth grader at HMS, and today I'm going to be reading you uh, my mini-sermon. So uh, many, one question many of us ask is, how do we stay in a relationship with Jesus? The Bible verse that best answers this question is from John's 1, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us, his son cleanses us from all sin. From this reading, we learn many things about our faith in God. We learn that God is completely pure and in no way sinful or unjust. We learn that he can be merciful so long as we are willing to admit to our sin. We learn that if we say we have no sin, we have lost our relationship with God and are lying to ourselves and those around us. Finally, we learn that those who proclaim to have faith in God yet walk in darkness do not practice the truth. However, none of these things answer the question, how do we stay in our relationship with Jesus? According to the scripture reading, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We stay in a relationship with Jesus by accepting him as our savior. As long as we are willing to worship him as our Lord, he is loving and forgiving. If we do not worship him as our Lord and walk in the darkness, he feels sorrow and pain for us. However, we must not only accept him as our Lord, we must also act on behalf of his will. One of the way we, ways we do this is with prayer. 
I, I pray every night, uh, I, or at least I try to, and it, it really helps me like feel like closer relationship with God. Another way that we do is spend our relationship or talk to others about our relationship with God. And not many of us do this. However, it it truly is incredibly fun. However, uh, if we claim that we we love God yet truly live in darkness, we have no relationship with God. Being sinful is forgivable so long as you are willing to admit to your sin. That is how we truly stay in a relationship with God, by accepting him as our Savior and walking under his holy light. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, uh, I went to a camp in New Hampshire for about a month, and uh, I absolutely hated it. Uh, the food was terrible. I got bug bites all over my legs. It, it was just, like, genuinely bad. However, the camp did give me a lot of time to think about my relationship with God. Uh, I began to think about how I truly didn't act or, or think on behalf of the will of God and Jesus, and how I truly lived in the darkness. Over the course of multiple days, I began to realize that it didn't matter how I had behaved in the past, as, I, as long as I'm willing to admit to my sin and name him as my Lord and Savior. I will not claim that I'm completely f- free of sin. While I may not openly admit to it, I have, cl- I have sinned hundreds of times in my life, as we all have. However, when I read this scripture, I learned something. You don't need to be perfect to walk under the light of God. You don't even need to be a great person to gain faith in God. Anybody can gain faith as long as they are willing to accept him as, a, as their savior. If you take anything from the scripture today, remember this. God is always willing to forgive you and allow you to re-enter the light of his salvation. Good morning. My name is Sloan Goodwin, and my question today was how does faith continue to bear fruit? A simple answer to this is to think of faith as a tree. A healthy tree has deep roots, a strong trunk, widespread branches, green leaves, and bountiful fruit. In order for a tree to continue to bear fruit, there needs to be the right soil, plenty of sunshine, water, and a good climate perfect for the tree. Faith is very much the same. Once a person finds God, they must find a way to grow and flourish in the proper environment. This would include surrounding yourself with other believers, finding a church community, reading the Bible, and praying and listening to God. I feel grateful that I've been going to this church since I was born. Even though my faith seed was planted 13 years ago, I continue to stay involved. I began at Little Limbs when I was three years old, and later this summer I'll be transitioning into high league with the high schoolers. I've made many strong relationships with counselors and leaders as well as people my age. In fact, many of my closest friends will be confirmed today or next year. The past two years of confirmation have taught me so much about my faith journey and how to grow my roots deeper into soil. The Bible verse I chose is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5-9. through 9. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. In March, our confirmation group went on a CSM trip to help around Chicago. However, when Lars revealed our groups, I found that I wasn't with my friends. I got very nervous and only focused on having time when I should have been worrying about serving God and growing my faith with my counselor friend. As the day went on, I realized that even when I wasn't with my friends, I wasn't alone. I had made new friends, spent time with people who needed help, and most importantly, listened to God. 
Everything falls into place when you have planted a seed of faith in Christ. It doesn't matter what time or place you accept God into your heart. To answer my question from earlier, how does our faith continue to bear fruit? After my seed was planted, I intentionally deepened my relationship with Christ and bear the fruit of his, of his work and love in my life. For everyone who hasn't planted your seed, it is not too late to walk with Christ. You can still learn to grow, flourish, and bear the fruit of God. Thank you. My name is Emerson Eck, and um, my question is, what can separate us from God? Uh, I believe that there will always be temptation to get separated from God, but nothing can truly separate us from him. I said in Romans 8, 38, 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, depths, neither anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything related back to God, and he can help us through whatever struggles we have. We must always keep God in our life, as nothing can separate us from it. When I was in seventh grade, I had a coach who was very tough. Basketball has always been one of my favorite sports throughout my life, and, I, and going into seventh grade, I learned I would have a new coach. I was very excited and a little nervous as I knew what I'd have to prove myself to a new coach. As the year progressed, I realized how tough he was. I was getting yelled at left and right for little to nothing. It started getting hard for me to get excited and wake up to play basketball anymore. I used to bounce off the walls every time I entered the gym, and now not so much. I wondered why God put me in this situation to lose the love for basketball. I felt disconnected from God at this point. I felt that nothing can get better at this point. The season dragged on, and I was not having fun. I was just waiting for the season to end. That's when I came to church one Sunday and heard my pastor talking about how we need to stay, stay in a connection with God, and he will make things better. I felt, that, I felt that this really spoke to me. I went home and thought about it a lot, what my pastor had said. I really focused on restoring my relationship with God, and as I continued growing closer to God, I also noticed I was having more fun on the basketball coach. My coach was still screaming, but I was blocking it out and only worrying about what God and I thought. By the end of the year, I was playing as well as I ever had, and I believe that. And at that point, I believed I loved basketball more than I ever did before seventh grade. I felt as I needed that coach to get me closer to God. Now I know that I don't have to go through any struggles alone, and that God will always be there with me. As in the scripture, it said that nothing can separate us from God, and I'm a firm believer in that. As I will be attending high school soon, I know that there will be many challenges and struggles thrown my way. It will feel as if I'm all alone, but I know God will always be there with me. No matter how bad it gets, I will just have to keep my faith in God, and everything will turn out okay. High school and adulthood may be hard, but it's nothing I can't handle if I stay connected with God and don't get separated. Ruthie Olson, and today I'm here to talk about how we should face trials. In James 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
In other words, trials help you to have a deeper connection with God and to develop a deeper trust with Him. It is important to remember that no matter what you face, God is there, and that you can look to Him through scripture, prayer, and fellowship with other believers for guidance and strength. One of the trials that I face is the fear of failure. The fear of failing prevents you from being able to answer the simplest question. For you are afraid that the minute the wrong thing comes out of your mouth, you are instantly judged by the people that witnessed your failure. I've experienced this many times, so I often resort to sitting in the back of the classroom and never speaking. But looking back on this subconscious habit, I came to realize that without failure, I have no chance to succeed because I've never taken the chance to try. I feel like the perfect example of this would be math class. I never understood math, and I was always too afraid to ask for help. My fear led me to be, behind the rest of, be, to be behind the rest of my peers throughout late elementary school all the way until eighth grade. It was only then that I knew that if I did not try to catch up, I would be behind. So I spoke up for myself, and to this day, math is one of the easiest classes I have. I feel that through facing the trial of fear of failure, I can become stronger with God's help. Another trial I face is the trial of dealing with siblings. It is one of the hardest things by far I've ever had to do. The minute that that kid is born, they don't just hand you a book of instructions in order to understand that sobbing child who is always spitting up and has an odd smell. No, they just expect you to be able to tolerate the screaming. I have two siblings, two younger sisters, who have done their fair share of making my life a living nightmare. And I'm not saying I'm a perfect child either. I feel that the birth of them has changed me so much, though. I cannot go into a public place with them without having a little heart attack over where they are. One place in particular is the City Museum in St. Louis, which gave me a nice set of skipping heartbeats. If you've never been to the City Museum, it is basically a giant children's playground with lots of tunnels and holes. And when I say lots of tunnels and holes, I mean it. This place has about 10 entrances into every room, and not all of those little cracks I can fit through, but the six-year-old can. This trial, though, is both very difficult and rewarding because I do have to make sure that my sisters are still alive everywhere you go, but I still get the feeling of, hey, look, that's my sister. She is related to me at the end of the day. In the end, the world puts us through our fair share of hair-pulling nervous breakdown times. But if you look to God for guidance, he will always show you that there is another tunnel, another way out of this hectic life we live. And no matter what, our perseverance will show the maturity of how far we have come and how far we have yet to go. In Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I hope from this day forward, my trials shape me to be a better person by helping to inspire youth that it is okay to fail and it is okay to face these trials because you know that God is with you always to help you and guide you. Thank you. Good morning, I'm Grace Van Hootie. How should we face trials is a major question everyone asks when they're trying to figure out their faith story. From the text James chapter one, verses two through four, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever we face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James was a follower of God, 
At times, he was facing trials of his own. Um, sorry. Uh, he was told that he could not think, God is tempting me, or that he was put in a situation to be punished. Instead, he was told that every good and perfect gift was from above, coming down from the Father. He th throughout the story of the Bible, we learned that every situation he was a part of was guided by God, and God was not leaving him when he was facing trials. The book of James was told to show everyone that our lives is a gift, whether it's good or bad, because God wouldn't put us in a situation that we couldn't handle. Many times people are guilty of questioning God's ways, and I know I have done the same. This past year has made me question how God was working in my life and why I was dealing with many troubles. Little did I know that I'd have a setback early on, and, I'd, and it pushed me to have a new outlook on life. Just three months ago, everyone at school knew me as the crazy girl who was wearing shorts in the middle of January, or just as the girl who had a purple leg. During this time, barely anyone knew what was going on in my life, or the story. In October of last year, I was diagnosed with CRPS, chronic regional pain syndrome which was a very rare neurological disorder that sends alarming and painful signals to my brain when nothing was wrong. It was basically attacking my leg. As early as June of 2018, we first noticed something was off, but we only thought it was a weird sunburn, so we didn't do anything about it. I started to feel pain in August, and we didn't know what to do. Every week, I was tested for something else, but everything showed up as normal. I had ultrasounds, x-rays, blood tests, and MRIs, but nothing seemed to come up with the diagnosis. It wasn't until after two months of searching that we finally found a diagnosis, CRPS. We were told that since I got diagnosed before major symptoms were appearing, that I'd end up being okay. I was placed into Shirley Ryan Ability Lab two months after I was diagnosed. But within the first two weeks of treatment, my pain was getting worse. I had to quit swimming, the sport I loved, and I had to focus on getting better. But it broke my heart. I started to question why all this was happening to me and if I deserved it. I was questioning God and why I was put in these situations. I thought that things would never look up, but they only got worse. In January, I had a flare-up, which caused me to lose my ability to walk and to wear pants. My sensation to everything touching my leg would leave me in tears. I became distant from everyone I knew because I didn't want people to think of me as the sick girl. I never told anyone what was truly going on in my life during those times because I thought that people would look at me differently. I closed myself off from everyone at first, but I could tell it wasn't helping. I started to give up after my nerve block didn't fix anything and it was spreading to other parts of my body, on my arm and on my other leg. I grew so negative towards everything in my life and I was so sad. I couldn't find anything to keep me pushing through and I had some very negative thoughts. I had heard so many stories about people who had the same disorder, but they never got better. And I thought I'd be one of them. Um, I. I knew from the very beginning that there was no straight cure for this and it'd be a tough road, but I was never prepared for people claiming that I was faking at school or the nights I cried myself to sleep because of pain or even when I wasn't able to fall asleep at all. I started to talk to my friends about what was going on in my life because no one understood what I was going through and I just needed to let it out and talk to someone. Once I started talking to people I trusted, I felt as if a weight was lifted. I, just talking about it made me feel better, so I started to pray to God more than normal talking and telling him everything that was going on in my life. I would tell him about everything that was happening, and I told him that I'm going to stay strong and not give up. Once I was open to everyone, I started to see a change, not only in the way I felt, but the way I looked at this whole situation. 
Um, then I started to see that there was a point in going to treatment and seeing all my doctors. I didn't want to be stuck where I was. I wanted to walk again. I started to have perseverance and wanted to get better, not just for me, but for God too. I knew that he didn't put me in this, in this situation and with this disorder to knock me down completely, but to give me a setback that would prove that I'm able to push through every situation I'm in because of my faith in God. Just like James, I learned that every situation I'm a part of is guided by God, and God was not leaving me when I was facing this really bad trial. I believe that everything in my life is a gift, even if it's helpful or a trial, because everything that tests my faith produces perseverance in who I am. After being on crutches for two and a half months, I was finally able to walk. I thought my life was back to normal, so I wasn't being as cautious about my leg like I should have been. I finally felt like a teenager again, but it took its toll. After a month of being able to walk, my, my pain increased again, and I had another flare-up, like I am right now. I now understand that I'm not a typical eighth grader. I can't do typical eighth grade things, but during that month of walking, I finally felt free. I know that my journey with this disorder is not over, but my perseverance will continue and I will fight so I can get back to that feeling of being free. Someday I will be pain-free and I, and I will have let perseverance finish its work in me so I be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I know that many more trials we put in my way and I now can say that I'm able to face any trial or trouble in my life and ahead of me because of my faith in God. Good morning. My name is Ruben Guevara, and confirmation represents one of the more bigger, grander moments for me, but is comprised of very small moments from all my life. I'm remembering one of the happiest days of my younger life when I ran a f my first ever race, a one-miler. It seemed like a long distance for a little six-year-old like me, but I managed to cross the finish line in second place. And as I was running down the last stretch, on the last straightaway toward the finish line, I could hear all my friends and family cheering me, my name on and on. Reuben, Reuben, they shouted. My mom was waiting for me at the right. Was what, my mom was waiting right at the finish line with her line with her arms wide open for a proud of me hug, and I was so proud of myself too. As I ran into her arms, I finished feeling like I was on top of the world. First Corinthians three five through seven says, "What then is Apollos?" What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but, only, but neither he who plants nor he who waters, that in every, sorry, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God gives the growth. To me, this scripture is telling us that in every short story of our lives tell, Every word that comes out of our mouths, they, all, they point to God for his glory alone. Not so that people would praise or follow Apollos or Paul, but so that they would follow Jesus. Their lives, their testimonies point to Jesus. You know, I've had a lot more successes in my life since that one miler second place race. I've done well in school, in sports, and I've been recognized in leadership. I've also had managed to mess a lot of things up. I've failed. I've hurt people around me. I've tried really hard and not won games or lost at races. And the thing is, when I've 
when I've done well, it's easy for me to take the glory. I'll cheer myself, even, even feeling really proud. And the opposite, when I've failed, I'll feel totally crushed. I'll shout my name, but this time in disgust. But in scripture, we see that Paul states, I planted the seed, meaning that God gave you the ability to do anything and everything. He then later says, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. So there are three parts to the path of, to glory. You start with some natural abilities given to you by God. You train or practice for that upcoming chance that you might achieve glory. And three, God is the one that trains you and makes it so that your training pays off in one way or another. But sometimes we only see this in times of greatness, but we need to see it in the good as well as the bad too. But it is not about me. When I have done well, I hope it is about to make God's name great. I believe he can even use my failures, big and small, and instead of blaming myself and turning into myself, my failures make me want to call out to God more and give him the glory when I do so. But why should God get the glory in only times of trouble? Actually, he deserves it every time, every day, and he can use my, even my failures to glorify himself and make me more like him every time. Every day we have a choice to live for ourselves or for God. My grandpa said, every day we have a choice to live for one of two people. We can either live for ourselves or live for God. This sounds easy. Why wouldn't we just pick God and live for him? But it gets harder when we add the pressures of the day and our time as life as children, teenagers, and young adults. It's not easy to talk about God in front of others. It is also, and it also feels really good to be liked on, as a person or in social media. Our instincts are to take the glory for ourselves. But when we look at the bigger picture, I can see you all in your own way running down the last stretch of the race with Jesus smiling and yelling your name. And when you make it there, he will say to you in words that we all hope to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So tell me, is it worth it to get the glory from people or, or from your, the one true father that has your medal ready and waiting? Good morning, congregation of Hinsdale Covenant. My name is Charlie Wideman, and as I affirm my faith through confirmation, one question I have is, what does God have in store for us as our mission? What is our purpose through God? I think that this is an interesting question because most of us are stuck in patterns of habit or laziness that are reaffirmed by our society. We may go to church every few weeks, go to school and do homework, and work at our jobs to move up into a senior position, instead of truly focusing on God and his mission. Daily, I spend too many hours on video games, texting my friends, or watching pointless YouTube videos. I've been stuck in this void of normalcy, not really making an impact that people remember as something done through God. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, show me how I should live my life, how I should break out of the cultural norm. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The ideology behind this scripture is to practice what you preach. When I say I'm a Christian, I need to go out into the world to show people that I'm a Christian. 
James chapter 2, verse 19 elaborates on this saying, you believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. Anyone can know God. The demons, the worst of our society, can conceptualize God, but it takes a believer to act on God's love. One or two months ago, our eighth grade confirmand group embarked on a spiritual journey together with our confirmation buddies at Christian Service Mission in Chicago, hoping to spread Christianity in the weekend we were there together. On this CSM retreat, um, we served at food shelters, played bingo with the elderly, and finished a prayer tour throughout some Chicagoan areas that needed God's help, or received it, and had been flourishing. The history of Chicago that we learned was filled with so much hate and love at the same time. The people we interacted with, including our guides, were deeply rooted in faith. Their unwavering compassion and kindness inspired us to jump in headfirst, despite being a little hesitant initially. People at the food kitchen were up bright and early, close to 5 or 6 a.m., and ushered us in with smiles. Their faith was so strong that the time or place that they the time or place that they were serving God didn't matter. They seemed to be living through God's word. They just wanted to make a difference. I see the same strong faith at Hinsdale Covenant with pastors Lars and Joy. They've got this solidarity and faith that I've never seen before. Pastor Lars has the ability to talk to anybody and everybody. It makes them feel included in any situation. Every time I hear Pastor Joy preach on Sundays, I'm blown away by her spiritual intelligence, her deeply rooted understanding of her own faith. I learned new things about my own spiritual intelligence by listening to her talk. Colby and Courtney at Youth Group are people I know I can trust with anything because of God's unending love that fuels them continually. And Pastor Simon, even after a few months, I can feel his sincerity and empathy when I talk with him after services or on flipside nights. Our leaders are Christians practicing what they preach. Our mission as evangelical Christians is to live through the word of the Lord, putting God's word into action. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says it best, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divine, dividing asunder of soul and spirit. This Christian superweapon that we hold, the gospel, the good news, is something that I need to arm myself with and use to my greatest advantage. What's the point of having this all-powerful superweapon, the Bible, and not using it? Living God's word means being a steady, redeeming presence to those people in your life who need God love, God's love. Be the conduit between God's love and a sinner. Make someone light up with joy after a kind act. Volunteer somewhere. Look through someone else's eyes to see what they're experiencing. Just put a smile on someone's face. That's all God's asking for. Don't worry about judgment or getting nothing in return because Jesus is always with you. Jesus said it best in Matthew 28, verse 20 as, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I know in my faith story coming up, I need to make sure to keep God in the center of my life so that I can be that type of person for others in my life. I need to put away the distractions and let God fill me up. Too often I find myself distracted by these mundane things in life. If I act on the word of God in my day-to-day life, I can share Jesus with all the people of the earth. I will use this superpower known as scripture to make God's presence known around the world. Let's go out in peace to love and serve the Lord and complete our mission as a follower of Christ. My name is Emily France. Do you ever wonder who we are to God, why we were specifically chosen, what our purpose in life is? 
Although these are pretty loaded questions, we have most likely all thought about them one time or another. We all probably don't know our purpose, or maybe we all think we have a different one. For me, I think it doesn't matter if you don't know your purposes as long as you live it out till its full potential. Again, for me specifically, at one point, I seemed to think that my purpose was to play basketball. I came to that conclusion quite early. I said, okay, this is what I'm good at, so therefore this is what I need to do in order to succeed. For some of you who know, most of you do not, but basketball is one of my main priorities. It's my one getaway. And even though I seem to complain to my family and friends about it a lot, I really do love it. There was even a moment of where I wanted to quit basketball altogether. I was at the trials for my school basketball team, and most of the girls there, including myself, were all very confident that we all had a spot in the A team since we had all made the same team the year before. We began to play in practice, and it became clear to everyone there that I seemed to be a little rusty due to the fact that trials were in September, and I strained my ankle that summer before. So I hadn't got a lot of playing time in between the months from when I sprained my ankle and to when the trials were. My coach had clearly recognized that as well, and so he pulled me aside separately from everyone else and told me that I for sure had a spot on the team, but just in case if the B team didn't have enough girls for a game, then I would have to go play with them for a game or two. Even though it wasn't even certain, after hearing this, I was totally mortified and completely embarrassed. Although he had only said it was going to be for one game and could very possibly not even happen, I was still felt upset. After that moment, I just wanted to quit basketball, mostly because I thought that because of the two months I had off from practicing, I could never recover from, which now sounds ridiculous, but I thought that my co co coach thought I wasn't good enough, and then that made me think I wasn't good enough, almost like there was no point. But eventually, I worked a little harder, I played a little stronger, and I didn't have to play with the B team a day in my life. I also started every game, and that made me feel good, as though I was one of the best there. In the Bible, Peter 2, 9 through 10, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. After reading this, I realized that my purpose in life was not to play on a stupid basketball team for two months, but to spread the word of God in his glory especially to the non-believers. One time, in the hallway of my school, some of my friends went into the bathroom. I was outside with another friend of mine. We began to talk, and he started to randomly curse. Thinking I was being funny, I said, you shouldn't talk like that. God wouldn't like it. To that, he said, it's fine, because I don't believe in God. In that moment, I froze. I didn't know what to do or say. I mean, what do you say to that? I couldn't persuade his faith in the next two minutes that we had together alone. So I just moved on and pretend he never said that. He's moved away now, so I wish I got to talk to him before he left. From now on, I will try to be more bold in these situations because we are all God's children. We were specifically chosen as God's children so we can help others to seek and find, to help find ourselves. Many of us, including myself, have taken those BuzzFeed quizzes where we find out what type of bread we are or which Kardashian we like the most. But do we ever stop to think that those quizzes don't define who God thinks we are? He is the creator and we are the creation. In his eyes, anyone who speaks of his name will be saved. So in order to have basic parts of your faith, you need to understand that you are specifically adopted by God. We have been chosen not to call attention to ourselves, but to call attention to God. We were meant to spread his amazing word. Thank you.